Brendan, Brendan, can I invite you up? Brendan is just going to also tell us about a testimony of being led by the Spirit this week, I think. Okay, hello everyone. Um, just want to share something very short, but I think how the Spirit's been working in my life the last couple of months. So um, it was a couple of months ago um, when Phil actually was speaking on operating systems. I was deeply encouraged by that talk. Um, really, really encouraged. I could really relate to what he was saying. So over a year ago, um, my job role changed in the organization that I'm working in into a leadership role. Um, and I knew it was coming, but I really didn't feel ready for it. And uh, the first year was tough. It was really, really tough. I know a new job role is tough, but it was really, really tough. And I think it just boiled down to that my operating systems was not faith. It was a lot of fears. It was a lot of fears. And after the talk, I think we sang Oceans by Hillsong as a sort of worship to sort of commit to the Lord. Um, and as we were singing, I felt a real sense of excitement inside. Um, it's hard to explain, but I felt the excitement was that God was saying, not that change is going to happen, but it's actually happening. It's happened. It's happened. I was really excited by that because this is an area that I pray about a lot with my fears and stuff. Um, and then a month ago, John spoke on being led by the Spirit. Um, and through that talk, I was really challenged because I felt... The Spirit was saying to me, are you willing to put this into practice? Or are you still holding on to your fears and operating out of fears? Um, and, yeah, so I was, I, was, I was really challenged by that. So are you holding on to your fears? Um, and then there was a picture given um, to kind of confirm that. Um, I think someone gave a picture of someone in the deep end of a swimming pool, um, but they weren't willing to sw- swim in the deep end. They were holding on, to their, holding on to the sides, still gripping onto the sides. I thought, well, that's me. That's me. So I kind of made a commitment to God during that service, I was going to say, okay, I'm going to do this week differently at work. Um, I'm going to be led by the Spirit. I'm going to trust you more. Um, I'm going to really try and go for it. Um, And for me, my safety zone at work is, as a leader, being very good at encouraging people, but not really challenging people and saying no, which I know is hard to do anyway, but it doesn't make you an effective leader if you don't get the balance right. Um, So I thought, I'm going to really commit this to you, Lord. And on Monday morning, I knew there was an opportunity to um, speak to someone who I work with, who's above me. I'm very close to them. Um, and challenged them about some decisions that had been made, which I would have probably avoided. I wouldn't have done it. Uh, but I thought, I'm going to commit it to you, Lord. Um, and I did it with prayer, and it went really, really well. It went really, really well. And I think it just gave me the confidence that week just to keep trusting the Spirit, do it differently. So I made these little small changes, um, which made a really big difference. And um, I can only describe the, the week as feeling a lot more freer, a lot more freer. So praising God for that, Yeah. Beautiful. All right, then. So, we're going to continue today talking about obedience. And that as it relates to obedience to the Spirit. All right? But I want to do a slight recap at the start, just where I left off the last time, and then we jump in. But just before we do that, let's. Just thank God that he will really speak to us. You know, the scripture we spoke about in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, when um, everyone was hearing it in their own tongue. I, I believe that could be applicable for us today. As I share, as we listen to that testimony, as we saw the testimonies before, I have an expectation that God will speak to each of us, relevant to our own circumstances, and cause all of us to share in this inheritance. All right? So let's just pray. And ask God just to declutter our minds and to um, cause us just to hear his voice. So, Father God, I thank you that today, oh God, as we have gathered, we gather not just because of friendships, but we gather, oh God, because you are the center of all we desire. Father God, as we sit in this hall, as we engage in worship, as we share words of encouragement one with the other, God, what we are looking for you to do, oh God, is to be the center of all that we say and we declare. We are searching after you. We are hungry for you. Father God, and cause us to put aside the things that distract us from your voice, the adversities of life, or even the pleasures. Father God, we ask today that there will be nothing in this moment, O God, that will take the place of you and that which you desire to bring to us. Father, may we find you in the loud songs, O God, and in the quietness of the day. 
And Father God, may we leave this place forever changed. Forever, oh God, believing that we can walk in the fullness of all that you have declared. For we are vessels looking to be filled, looking to be filled with your spirit, looking to be filled with your presence. We thank you, God. Make it so. Bless God. I heard something this week that really challenged me. You know, somebody said God didn't give us a very hard task. All he asks us to do is believe. That's all. <laughs> all he asks us to do is believe. And we sometimes complain and say it is hard, and all God has asked us to do is believe. And sometimes the believing is performed by actions or by taking a certain position of mind. But if we could just do that simple thing, believe, it all becomes easy. Yeah? Often we like to tell God about the surrounding circumstances, just in case he's not seen, <laughs> you know, but the boss. <laughs> But I've never done this before. You know, the wind outside, the storm, the whatever the case is. But all he's asked us to do is to believe and to trust in him. Uh, I felt very encouraged by that. And I hope that I could kind of really walk in the fullness of that. So just to recap, um, last time I was talking about obedience to the spirit. And we went into Acts. Next one. Um, we also talked about how obedience is the path into God's pleasure. And as I was reflecting on that, I was seeing obedience like a bridge in my mind, all right? A bridge that was leading to God, and it, take, it took us above the bug of life, the swamp of life. I mean, if anybody said, go from this side to that side, I would prefer to be on that bridge than to be walking and stretching through those circumstances, all right? The, the obedience to God is a safe path into his pleasure. All right? Uh, but sometimes when we look at the bridge, the other slide, the bridge sometimes looks like that to some of us. No? Anybody can identify with that? <laughs> sometimes when God asks you to walk in obedience, it seems treacherous. But it is secure. All right? Sometimes it can look treacherous to our natural eyes because we, we want to get there already, and we can't take the daily steps on those planks and trust in God to so God to lead us to where he wants to take us to. All right? So, um, I believe what God is taking us to is a place of his rest. But if we don't have the right desires, we could almost say, God, I prefer something else. I don't want that place you're taking me to. I want something more sure or that looks more elaborate. And we've got to make sure that we are... That same thing I said at the start. God has asked us to do only one thing, which is to believe. Once we start to enter into the realm of rationale or gazing upon anything that is not in his will, we find ourselves making something else our idol. Okay? Let's look at Genesis. Genesis what first? Genesis one. Let's see if I quickly find it. While I'm looking for that, I just want to thank God for His faithfulness. You know, during the start of the worship, I brought up um, Galatians five, twenty-two. The same thing Avril read. I don't know if he to come up and share it, but I just felt he took me back to that. So when Avril came and shared it, I said, God, ah. How beautiful you are, a confirming word. And that to me was just like a little nugget of God's presence in the meeting. Here he's saying something to me, but he's telling others. And also Phil brought it as an encouragement. Um, all right. You could go back at home and look at this, but uh, let me just paraphrase Genesis 1. The thing that I found, I loved in Genesis 1, when God was setting creation in order, he separated the skies from the earth, light from darkness. You know those scriptures? Yeah? And he set things in divine order. But at the end of all of it, he said, and it was good. Okay? So here was God unveiling in creation that he has preferences for where things occupy. And all of those things took their rightful place. And he looked at them and he said, it was good. But he also created man. 
And when he created man, he also said it was good. But he gave man a command as well, just as he commanded light and darkness, the skies and the earth, the sea and land. He said, this is what I want you to do. Eat of every tree, but don't eat of this tree which is good and evil. Because the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Everybody know that, that story. All right? So here was God setting all of creation in order. Not just man who he created in his image, but light and darkness and all kind of physical matter. And then we go on to Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, and we see where man erred from God. Yeah? He disobeyed. But very interesting, um, Katie and me were discussing this, and we're saying, how come man didn't eat of the tree of life before? You know? How come he didn't find it? And it's something we've been talking about a while now. She raised the question, and it's very interesting. The tree of life, I believe, can only be found through obedience. Okay? It was always there. They ate of every other tree. But they couldn't find that tree because I believe that tree, the way and the path to that tree, came through obedience to God's law. Okay? The path to the tree of good and evil, it seemed that they, they, they had found the path to it. It was in the center of the garden and they saw it. But somehow, rather than going and eat of the tree of life, which there wasn't a command not to eat from, but probably came through discovery of walking with God. Um, they went to the tree of good and evil, and then God said, ah, let's block man from this tree of life. Let's see you reach forth and he taste of it, and he become like us, and become trapped in the state that he is. Okay? And, you know, as we read the other scriptures, even in the Gospels, we know eternal life is Jesus, Christ. Christ-likeness brings us to eternal life. And last week, we spoke about, um, in Proverbs 25, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to unveil it. And I also talked about parables. Why did God, if he wanted this salvation to be ready there for all of us to get, why he didn't just make it plain? Why did he bury it inside of all these mysteries? And we talked about because there is something in God that he wants us to press into him and to go after him. And in a couple of the prophets, he said, lest, I, I did it this way, lest they see and they hear and they repent. You know, so God don't want you just as Adam and Eve to reach for the tree of life without walking the path of obedience. All right, so when I'm talking about obedience, it is not something, I don't want, to, I don't want it to be suggested to you, it's something easily apprehended. Okay? Obedience is something that you have to commit your life to follow the path of God. At the end of that, you receive this Christ-likeness. If you doubt me, go look at Jesus. Even Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. Yeah? Um, let's go to Philippians 2 from verse 1. So let's see what the Spirit of God opens up to us here. He said, Therefore, you have, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in this spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, you want to be other, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Verse 3. Do nothing of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Go on. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. No, that's it. That's this verse I wanted to get to, verse 5. So this life of obedience, we have a command. And the only way we get through to fulfilling that command is to have that same mindset as Christ Jesus. And we'll come back to Philippians 2, the rest of the verses, very soon. But let's just go back to the PowerPoint, if you may. And let's just recap some of the things we shared last week. All right, next one. So obedience. In Isaiah 55, 8, it says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. That's God talking about his ways. But then we discover the key to getting God's desires in 1 Corinthians 2, 12. 
He said he wants to reveal it to his children. All right? Proverbs 25, 2, which I mentioned earlier, talks about the glory of God concealing a matter. Philippians 2.13, which we'll look at in a short while, talk about, look, this discovery of this mystery, this discovery of this obedience, it is not by mental thought or academic understanding. It is the Spirit of God who works in us to do his good pleasure. All right? So please don't take from this talk that your will is the thing that allows you to get into the mind of God, okay? It is God's spirit working inside of us, revealing the things and bringing things out, okay? And then Romans 8, 14, we looked at that. We had, I think we had read from verse 13, where it talks about um, those who are led by the spirit are the children of God. And it went on to talk about we are no longer slaves of fear, but God has liberated us, all right? So those are some of the scriptures that I think encapsulate what we talked about the last time, which is there is a mystery, talked about in Corinthians. We can get to that mystery, which is also in Ephesians, and we get to that mystery by the Spirit of God working in us and us deciding to yield and to allow everything to become into subjection to the leading of God. Just as Brandon, he followed the leading and all those testimonies we saw up there earlier, Andy and the others, they responded to God, and as they responded to God, God revealed the things he wanted to share with them. All right, um, today I want to focus on Ruth, and I want to hopefully use Ruth in the Bible, who is part of the lineage of Christ, to kind of pull um, something together, which is, there is something called the, 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 the foreknowledge of God. So sometimes you walk in error, as I sometimes do, but I still see God's goodness being worked out in my life. In fact, me standing here is a testimony of God's goodness, not my righteousness, okay? There are many things that I have done in this very short 43 years of my life that disqualify me. But God, in his goodness and his justification and the completeness in the blood of Christ, allow me to stand here and declare things boldly to you, not because I have walked perfectly, but because Christ lived as the perfect example. Yeah? Can I identify with that? So I'm standing here today, not making a boast in hands and what hands have done. I'm making a boast in what Christ has completed and what I could now access. Okay? And every time I stumble, I am reminded that my big brother Jesus is making... He's sitting at the right hand of God and reminding God of what he did so I could stand here today. Yeah? And you all have that same inheritance. Oh, bless God. Ah, thank you. (laughs) I only cry in King's Park. I don't cry (laughs) in Mayfield. Okay, bless God. Um... Let's look, at, um, let's look at Matthew 1. Let's look at the genealogy of Christ, and then we'll jump back to Ruth and, and see what we see there. All right, forgive me. I want to read some scripture. I like to earth these things back into our family album. All right, so if you could bring up Matthew 1. All right, I'm not sure what translation I have, but follow with me. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amimidab, Amimidab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. (laughs) Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the mother, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, 
Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram. Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shethiel, Sheatiel, the father of Zerubbabel, I know that one. <laughs> Zerubbabel, the father of Abihad. Abihad, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azar. Azar, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, <laughs> thus there was 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now, when I used to read that to the child, I was like, oh, all these names, confusing, all these phonics. But... You know, I read that again quite recently, and things just started to jump out that I just haven't seen. And I grew up in a, 14 to grow up in a Christian home. Um, so the Bible was always around. And these scriptures that talk about generations are just like unnecessary detail. Why is that there? You know? And recently, God took me back to roots. And when I look back at that scripture, at these descendants, I was seeing God seeking to mention people. And you notice that sometimes he mentions, like Uriah. He's one of, the, one of my great heroes in the Bible. This guy who did absolutely nothing. And David, that man who God says is after his own heart, <laughs> set him up to take his life. This guy came back from battle and wouldn't even go visit his family because he don't want to be enjoying pleasures while other people are fighting on the front line, you know? And he was snuffed out. And I said, God, I really don't understand how come you love David. I think he needed he need like a hip to be displaced like, you know, <laughs> his, 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 you know, his forefathers. But very interesting is that um, God sought to mention some of these individuals in the lineage of Christ because there was something in their character that God found pleasure with. And in his foreknowledge, he predestined that they will be part of this revelation of a nature of himself, which is called the Messiah, the Christ. That he felt, you know what? These people are vessels I could continue to pour myself into so that they could produce the ultimate end that I'm after. And when I saw Ruth, you know, she said she was just the mother of whatever. And I went back to Ruth to kind of read Ruth, and I will just skip back to that a bit and paraphrase again. But I encourage you, go check these things when you go home and make sure that the Spirit also speaks to you. I believe he will speak to us here, but please be diligent and don't just sit here and take my word for it, okay? Let God unpack this thing and give you insight into it. Um, but while the team gets to Ruth, and we may skip over a few verses, um, I saw her there, and Ruth was a Moabite. And just to give you context, remember the story of Ab Ab Abraham? So Abraham was called by God to go and find a land to which God will take him. And he set out on this journey, and his nephew decided to follow him and a couple of people in his household. Then he came to the boundaries of Egypt, and then he said, you know what? Sarah, you're too beautiful. You get me in trouble. All right? When we go inside there, Anybody asks any questions, you're my sister, all right? You're not my wife. So Sarah agreed. Then they went into Egypt, and the servants of Pharaoh came to Pharaoh and said, whoa, we saw a beautiful woman today. This guy who just came visiting, he has a sister. She is really nice. So Pharaoh said, whoa, okay. I have many wives, but I could have another. Let's get this lady here. Let me see her. 
But let's not upset her brother. Let's give him some camels, some silver, some gold, some servants, and keep him sweet, all right? Probably he would allow his sister to stay here with us. Then plagues came on the Egyptians. Then Pharaoh recognized that, hey, this is not this man's sister. It is his wife. And then Pharaoh said, depart from me and with everything I give you and go your way. Please, poor adventure, your God, be pleased with us and take away this plague. But quite interestingly, right after this, this Abraham, who we always talk about, had all kind of wealth, suddenly got described as a wealthy man of great possession. Okay? Lied about his wife. <laughs> Almost allowed Pharaoh to commit adultery. Came into wealth. And this is part of the wealth that some Christians lost after now and even asked for. All right? But Abraham was on a journey of obedience. And he made some mistakes at the start. And many of the people we saw in Matthew 1, they made mistakes. But as they continue to walk in obedience, they discovered God. All right? And that's the same process. I want to suggest that God was asking Adam and Eve to go on a journey of obedience. Eat of every tree, not the one of good and evil. When they disobeyed, he put angels to block them from that tree of life. All right? So here is this root who is a Moabite, and a Moabite is the descendants of Lot, which was the nephew of Abraham, who was disobedient. And then Lot and Abraham's servants started to argue against each other. And then Abraham said, Guy, let us not fight. You choose where you want to go, and I will go the other way. And Lot looked back, remembered Egypt, and said, you know what? These valleys next to Jordan, they are fertile. Let me go there. And my sheep and my cattle will graze well, and you go the other direction. And Abraham departed. All right? And then we know the story. Fast forward. Sodom and Gomorrah was next to where Lot encamped. Lot was found in Sodom and Gomorrah. God sent angels to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He said in Sodom and Gomorrah, there's a righteous man, which was Lot. Although he disobeyed, there was something inside of him. God rescued Lot, his wife, and two daughters. His wife looked back just as Lot did before, and she got destroyed, turned into a pillar of salt. Lot journeyed out with his daughters. They hid in caves, and then one of the daughters had a cunning plan. Hey, we have no husbands. Let's sleep with our dad, and we will have offspring. And the big, biggest daughter, she slept with the father, and the first descendant, the first child that they had, he was Moab. All right? So Ruth, who is a Moabite, is a descendant of Lot. We see in the scripture, she's part of the genealogy of Christ. Yeah? That's the mercy of God outworking. But just to give context, here was Lot disobeying, had a son, heir, and then ended up having a whole nation of Moabites, one of which happened to be Ruth, and she happened to be part of the lineage of Christ. But then when we come to Ruth 1, which is a book in the Bible, four chapters, we see there is this guy um, who had a wife, Naomi, and he had two sons. And famine came, you know, he took, he, famine came, and they went down into, they went down into Moabite, into Moab, and they found wives there. Hope I got that right. But they, they married two women who were Moabite women. Okay, and in the course of time, Emilek died, and his two sons died. So here was Naomi, this woman who was part of the genealogy, the, the spiritual Israel, but she had two daughter-in-laws who were part of the people who you will think God said not to mix with, and God told them not to mix with them. All right, you go back to Numbers 21 and 22, we see where the Moabites saw the Israels wandering, and there's a lot. Go back to read Numbers, and you'll see the story of the, the, the Moabites there, all right? Their descendants long after. But Israel had a command to stay away. But somehow, in the passage of time, Moabites intermarried with the Israelites. But they were considered unclean, so to speak. But very interested in Ruth, the book of Ruth, when this mother was sojourning in this land, and these two daughter-in-laws were with her. They heard word that back in Israel, 
God had started to bless again. So she decided, you know what? I'm going to go back to my country and find God. All right? And I'm going to get to the obedience part just now. Bear with me, but I'm giving context. All right? So she's journeying back with these two daughter-in-laws. And then she said, you know what? Based on our custom, I have nobody else in my family to give you to marry. So there will be nobody to carry on your name, my name. So go back to your country, serve your gods, and maybe God will be merciful and give you husbands because you have been faithful staying with me in this foreign land when I had nothing to eat. And one of the daughter-in-laws, you know, she, she said no, but then in the, in the end, she kissed her mother-in-law and she turned back and she went back to the land from which she came. But Ruth is very interested. She declared something. She says no. And one of the best examples of covenant I've seen in the Bible. She says no, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And she was like us Gentiles, they're probably Jews here, but people who, in the provision of God, should not have a part in his heritage. She was reaching over and saying, you know what, no, I will serve your God. And God honored her by causing her to be part of the lineage of Christ. All right? So in verse 1 of verse 2, in verse chapter 2, she said, no, your, your God will be my God, but your people my people. And she journeyed back with the mother. And then as chapter 2 opens, what we saw there was a sense in which she started to display that heart that God found pleasure in. So what then happened? Her mother-in-law said, go out in the field, and it's the custom that if you walk after the reapers in the field, that they would allow you to, thresh, to, to, to gather the scraps. And if when you gather the scraps, bring that back, and we may eat that. All right? So she, she showed that obedient heart, and obedience is the characteristic, okay? In this time, we are to obey the spirit, but in that time, they obeyed commands, all right? But obedience is still the central thing. So she obeyed her mother-in-law command, and as she went out and she gleaned in the field, she brought it back, and the mother-in-law was quite pleased, and she said, you know, I stumbled upon the field of Boaz. And the mother-in-law got very excited. She said, I know that name. He's a relative of ours. And probably in this custom of ours, he may redeem you so that you could have offspring and you, your life will not be as bad as a widow all your life. Yeah? So she went back in the field and Boaz took notice of her. And very interestingly, as Boaz took notice of her, um, he, he asked his servants to give her a bit of favor. She obeyed Boaz's instructions again, obedience coming out. And then went back to her mother-in-law who said, Boaz, um, go sleep at his feet. And you could read the scripture and it, it opens a story. But interestingly, Ruth is seen just obeying the instructions of others. And she ends up being at the center of this thing to be redeemed. But Boaz was not the closest relative. So Boaz, in his honor, said, you know what? I am not your closest relative. There is this other guy, but if he doesn't redeem you, I will redeem you. Now, you've got to remember, that's a big thing for this guy to do. Here is this man who is, by the accounts of the scripture, seem well-off and wealthy. He can marry anyone. He's going to marry an unclean woman who is a Moabite, who is also a widow, who is very far removed, you know? But he saw something inside of her. And if we come to that scripture, see if we go to Matthew, uh, no, Ruth 3. And Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. If we go on. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Okay, yeah, let's stop there. And it's very interesting. Boaz's words were not that you've come to take refuge under Naomi, 
or you have come to take refuge under me, Boaz. If you go back to the, first, the verse just before verse 12. In, it talk, verse 12, sorry. The end of verse 12. May the Lord richly, may the Lord reward you, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And when I read this, you know, I ask, I, the question that comes to my mind is that, of, you know, we're in life, okay? Just using Brandon's testimony again. Here is a situation he needs to correct someone or talk to somebody in with. Often, it is easy for life to say what you are engaging with is humans, or you're just jumping on a train, or you're just eating this food, or you're just deciding to take this holiday. All of life is geared to say you are just like one of the other billion of people on the planet. The Spirit of God is not guiding your steps. Anybody ever face that challenge? I face it often. You know, I'm jumping on a bus and there are 80 other people on the bus. You understand? I just happen to come to this bus stop like them at this time. But no, my life is not just a natural outworking of all humans. My life is anchored in God and in that anchoring in God, his spirit, which is inside of me, as we saw in Philippians 2.13, it is working his good pleasure. And that good pleasure, sometimes I could see the goodness of it being outworked, and sometimes I totally miss it. I obey, and I don't even understand why I obeyed. I had a moment like that on, on Tuesday evening. Um, and Penny, you'll see why. I, I love burnt orange, Yeah? It so happens, I absolutely um, feel joined in heart to the work in Sierra Leone, all right? And on first Tuesday prayer, Penny was prophesying, and she started to talk about, she sees something orange. Is it, did I get the card? Is it, what's Penny? Where is Penny? That's what she was talking about, yeah? She was talking about the orange and a political movement and a whole series of things she started to prophesy. Now, I was just in Sierra Leone in February, and I was in a van driving five hours on a highway that Google Earth said will take me one hour. <laughs> or took about five hours. And the guys were all dressed in orange. And they were all waxing lyrical about the heart for the nation. Something we have been praying for for a whole year last year. God built into them the father of the nation. And they started to talk about politics and a whole series of stuff. And here, Penny, who I don't know I shared that conversation with or was part of the core team meetings, started to prophesy some things that I felt I heard and just parked it to the side. And she was talking these things. And I was starting to get excited. And I was just waiting for her to stop to say, ah, and you will know. And God just said subtly, don't rush ahead of me. Stand back. And I was like, huh? I'm leading this prayer, God. I want to give confirmation to this word. And God said, no. Don't, lean, don't rush ahead of me. Lean back. So I was like, there in the moment, I don't know what happened. A few minutes passed, and next thing, um, Lucy was up giving her exhortation and, and also confirming some of the things Penny was saying. And that was that. But then it turned out Wednesday or Thursday in the office, I was talking to somebody, and I was saying, you know what? I discovered this God again on Tuesday night. Sometimes he speaks to us and we don't understand why. But I'm just grateful that I could hear the voice of God. You know, it took a few days for me to work it out, but I said, God, you know what? The treasure I've discovered that evening is that you still speak. And I don't need to understand why. I just need to listen. Now, as it happened in the course of the week, I was also a big fool. <laughs> Uh, we just had a rich time. Um, Kay, Grace, Kay, Diana, myself, and some others, we were just sharing some word. And it's a real rich time with the Spirit. And then, as I got back home, I was looking for a scripture, and some documentary or something came up. And I felt, you know what? Let me just have a glimpse of this documentary on BBC. And nothing bad in the documentary in itself, but I heard a subtle voice at hands. Mm, don't. You will draw from that. I was like, draw from a documentary. It's, the documentary is about this thing. I, I, and I wrestled and I disobeyed. I was a fool. I'm standing here today, mercy of God, all right? <laughs> but no sooner after that, 
I was having conversations with Kadian on, on, on some other matters, and I felt myself remembering that documentary I just looked at and almost wanting to give counsel based on things I saw in the documentary. And I was like, God, the scripture didn't come to mind. The spirit didn't speak. What I wanted to do was give counsel based on something that unveiled in them. So here was God going ahead of me, giving me an instruction. I didn't, and I transgressed, right? So I repented. I went upstairs. I said, hey, Katie. Half an hour ago, God said, don't watch that documentary. I saw nothing harmful in it, but I transgressed. And I had to talk to God to make sure I don't pollute and bring counsel or advice based on emotion or based on a wrong source. And God in his mercy, I mean, that thing just lifted. And I was able to see clear again. All right? So I'm just showing an example of me disobeying in that week just gone <laughs> and obeying in the week just gone. All right? But God in his mercy, he, um, he reveals himself. Um, so yeah, as we go on in Ruth, Ruth then came to in, in chapter 4. She married Boaz, and as she continued to flow in that obedience, if you go to Ruth 4, so Boaz took Ruth to become his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, this is the mother-in-law, okay? Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. Because he also beat you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons have given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor woman gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. I'm not going to read those names again. <laughs> okay. But what I loved about this is here's a Moabite, an unclean, displaying a heart of obedience that God loves, that God weaves into the lineage of the Messiah. And shows to us that the thing that he is after is obedience for them that will walk in the goodness of God. Okay? There's a scripture in Matthew, I think Matthew 11. It talks about, why do you call me Lord if you don't do what my father says? Okay? So when we say Jesus is Lord, we are saying he's ultimate ruler. Okay? I think that same scripture talks about my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Often in this life, me included, probably the chief, we often have situations where we say, God, this is too hard. I just had to do it. Or I couldn't do it. Simply because it was too hard. My friends were watching. My children demanded. The pastor said, you know, my neighbor was in need. How many people find good excuses to disobey God. It was only me, I guess. <laughs> yeah? But that scripture says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I started by saying, he only gave us one command. Just believe. Once we hear that voice, all we are called to do is obey. Once we go the path of Eve and we start to rationalize, let me look at it. Really? That tree are good and evil, but it looks good. I think it's good food. All these other, you know, my palate desires something different. I've eaten all these other fruits. Maybe I could feast on this. It's not so bad after all. Once we start to entertain reason, as I did on Wednesday evening, mm, it's just a documentary. What harm could come of it? I could filter this thing. I've been walking with God for all these years. 
I will be able to spot the enemy until I found myself drawing from a wrong source. Not from the life of Christ that is alive within me, but through my emotions, through the wisdom of men, through things that look absolutely plausible. I mean, if I show you that, if I tell you the documentary, you go look at it, you'll say, nah, that's wonderful stuff. But God knew the conversation I was going to have 45 minutes after. And he went before me and he said, Hans, no. And my encouragement to you today is when you hear that, when you feel that nudge inside of your spirit, when you sense God saying, hey, I have something else for you. Draw from me. I am asking you to obey. Not to reason. To just have wholehearted, unequivocal obedience and trust. And guess what? Please, I don't want to give you a false sense of comfort. Sometimes your mortal life will come into danger in obeying God. Yeah? Like Abel, you might die. Like Stephen, you may be stoned. Like Jesus, you may die on the cross. Like Paul, you will be put in prison. Like the apostles, you will be flogged. But there is a rich treasure even beyond any small price you will pay in this mortality. You will affect the pleasure of God. And trust me, there is nothing better than giving God pleasure. Okay? Let every action we have in this life be a sacrifice for the pleasure of God. Didn't Abraham, who was trying to protect his wife, not protect his wife, protect his life, lying about his wife. This same Abraham, if you read a couple chapters after, he is the same Abraham that is willing to sacrifice the very promise, the thing that he lost it after, his son. Because he came to a revelation of God that God is the treasure, not his son, not his wife, not his life. And he was willing to put Isaac on that altar and lift that blade because he discovered God. Okay? And just like Abraham... Lot chose the green places. Abraham went into the dry places. The children of Israel, they went out into the wilderness. And for many of us, sometimes discovering God in this, will be in wilderness circumstances. But like Jesus, who went for 40 days out into that wilderness, Romans 8, which I often quote, comes to life. Nothing separates us from the love of God. Yeah? Not the pleasures in this world or the adversity. People, none of us have an excuse. We are only called to believe. Just as I conclude, bring up the end of Romans 8, if you may. The last four verses. And if you, just as I close, if you see anything inside here that, yeah, that's my excuse. I just want us to, to take a stand today as we close before God and say, you know what? God, nothing will separate me. As it is written, for your sake we face death all the day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Go on. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Just in case you think Jesus didn't have the same battles, Let's flip in the next two minutes to if, uh, Philippians 2. And we know Jesus was in boats that had storms. He was in several Terrible circumstances where people wanted to rip him asunder. 
I'll read from verse 9. Sorry. It's going to read from Philippians 1.9. But let's go from um, verse 6. It's talking about Jesus, and we read the earlier part before, all right? It said, let us be like-minded like Christ. But verse 6 says, Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. Here is somebody who was seated with God, Stepping down. Yeah? By obedience to the desire of the Father. And taking on the likeness of man. But he didn't stop there. He went even further south. He humbled himself. Verse 8. By becoming obedient even to death. Even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him a name that is above every name. But at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue will acknowledge acknowledge that Jesus Christ. And that Christ there should be the bold aspect of that um, sentence. Not Jesus, that Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. That he is Lord. And when we read Romans 8, the thing that I want to emphasize to you, that these things that come in the way, that causes us to say, God, I want to obey you, but if we die to preference, just as Jesus died in the wilderness to his preference and didn't yield to any of the temptations, just as he died on the cross, if we give God death, which is obedience in action, he exalts us and fills us with that nature of Christ. And that should be the thing that should be our passion. Every time we come to an adversity is an opportunity to be filled with Christ-like nature. All we have to do is say, God, what do you want from me in this? And sometimes he will preserve you from adversity and sometimes he will send you headlong into it. But please, I beg of all of us, let's choose obedience because that's the thing that brings us to him. Okay? So let's end there. Okay? Let's go. Thank you.